Hello and welcome into another episode on the Labumba Pastors Blog. I'm Asumba Jonathan. Today's lesson is a rebroadcast from our series in the Gospel of John. The title of the lesson is John 2, the first sign. And our text to begin is John chapter 2 from verse 1 to verse 11, which says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. As we discussed, discussed in our introduction to the book of John, John is very intentional about the miracles he records. Unlike the other Gospels, which record many of Jesus' miracles, though not all, John records only several, with a much greater emphasis on dialogue than the other Gospel accounts. This is a very interesting first public miracle to perform. Jesus is invited to a wedding in his home region. Some commentators suggest he may have been related to the groom, as it would have been the groom's responsibility to provi provide for food and drink for the occasion. These events typically lasted about seven days, so it was no small portion or expense that had to be provided. The fact that they ran out of wine early suggests that either the drink was mismanaged, or more likely, the groom was too poor to provide for all the days of the feast. Mary comes to Jesus and informs him of the problem. He asks her what the problem has to do with him. We'll discuss the implications of that interaction more in our next lesson. Today, I want us to consider the significance of Jesus providing for this need. This is the Messiah. He's the one who's going to carry our diseases. We, we know he heals the sick. He, he gives sight to the blind. He makes the lame walk. He cleanses lepers. He casts out demons. Eventually, he dies on the cross for our sins. Why, do, why, why did God choose that Jesus' first miracle would to be to help a groom on his, during his wedding feast by changing water into wine. It's very interesting, don't you think? What did this miracle do practically? It met the groom's need in a moment that was perhaps embarrassing. In Uganda, we know very well what it is like to have pressure to throw a big celebration for a wedding, even if a couple is quite poor. 
This would be like if in Uganda you could only afford meat for a few of the most important people and then you had to serve poshu and beans to the rest of your guests. Jesus had compassion on these people's material dilemma. His first sign demonstrates he had true compassion and concern for people. It recalls this passage to my mind the Apostle John wrote in his first letter. In 1 John chapter 3, from verse 16 to 18, we read, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives, lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Words of love without actions of love equals no love at all. The problem was pretty insignificant when we think of it in the scheme of Messiah's life. He was the savior of the world. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives, and he did all the miracles that I mentioned. He gave us the way to heaven. And here comes someone telling him they ran out of wine at their wedding feast. Not exactly what we would describe as a Messiah-sized problem. Jesus then, amazingly, provides for that need. What did it take for the first sign to be accomplished? Faith on the part of Jesus' mother and the servants she told to obey him. What would you have said if you were a servant there? Would you risk getting into trouble with the head person by serving him wine that you knew was only water? But they did as they were told. The jars they filled were large jars of water, not for drinking, but for the Jewish ceremonial washing. This was not so much about cleaning dirty hands as it was about false religious ideal. One commentator writes about this washing, describing it this way. He says, The ceremony involved someone pouring water out of a jar into another's hands, whose fingers must be pointing up. As long as the water dripped off at the wrist, the person could proceed to the next step. He then had water poured over both hands with the fingers pointing down. Then each hand was to be rubbed with the fist of the other hand. The Jews believed this process somehow cleansed a person or purified them from sin. In actuality, it was totally worthless in that regard. Notice that just as these water jars were worthless for cleansing sin, they were also worthless to provide wine for the feast, right? They were full of water that wasn't even for drinking. What might be the significance then of Jesus using those jars to provide wine for the feast? Well, who was the one who had the power to really cleanse people from sin? Jesus. How was he going to accomplish this cleansing? In Luke chapter 22, from verse 17 to 20, at the Last Supper, we get these, this description. In Luke 22, verse 17 to, to 20. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 
When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the bread and drink we take represents the body and blood of our Lord. We declare our faith in the death and resurrection of Christ. The wine symbolizes the blood of Jesus. Symbolically, then, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Jesus was giving us a very subtle picture of these things. He would be the one to provide for true cleansing of sin. He would replace the empty water that could never purify us from sin with his blood, the only thing that cleanses from sin. He showed that he had concern about our circumstances and would intervene on our behalf to meet our need. What did the master of the feast say about Jesus' provision? He said it was the best of all. God's provision for our material needs and our spiritual needs is always what is best for us. We are told he even knows the numbers of hair, number of hairs on our head. He cares for us that deeply. God is also the only one who can provide for our spiritual needs. Jesus demonstrated these two realities many times. There was a time where some men brought him a friend of theirs who was paralyzed. They found no way to bring the man into the house where Jesus was, so they made a hole in the roof and let him down through it. This is what happened next. The story is told in Matthew 9 from verse 2 to 7. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. Only Jesus has the power to forgive sins and restore life. His miracles testified to this truth. God bless you all.